From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. She was finally paying down debt, dreaming of buying a home. Then COVID-19 hit, and hairstylists like her were out of work. That put me into a panic, is probably the gentlest word. Today, a special Making Ends Meet. We answer your questions about unemployment, housing assistance, and help for small business. This is a key date for gig workers who can start filing for jobless benefits. But will they get bogged down? I got, we're unable to help you at this time. Please try again later responses. The system was obviously overloaded. Real answers, real stories. As a working mother with a full-time additional care job with my mother, I'd like to know how others in my position are faring. Use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. This is Making Ends Meet, a live special from CPR News and Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner. This hour, we'll answer your questions about financial assistance in the face of COVID-19. If you're out of work, out of business, or worried the current circumstances will force you out of your home, we want to hear about your experiences and, most importantly, get the guests we've assembled to answer your questions. Use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. My colleague Avery Lill will be fielding those. Hi, Avery. Hi, Ryan. First, let's set the unemployment scene. More than 230,000 Coloradans have filed claims in the last four weeks. And starting today, people who are self-employed and gig workers in Colorado can apply with the state for benefits. That's under the Federal CARES Act. I want to introduce you to someone who's found the whole process rather confusing, because she's both an employee and self-employed. My name is Kate Shapland, and I live in Denver, Colorado. Like many Coloradans, Kate works multiple jobs to make ends meet. As she said, she's in Denver, but she reminds me of folks in the mountain resorts who do a little of this and a little of that to eke out a living. For Kate, it's not just out of necessity. I enjoy doing many things, so I have chosen to be a hairstylist and a personal trainer and a pickleball instructor, and a fitness instructor. Now, if you're not familiar with pickleball... Pickleball is a combination of badminton, tennis, ping pong, uh, I think that's it. And it's a paddle sport played with a wiffle ball. Now, with the fitness gigs, Kate has four different employers, mostly rec centers. She's lost two of those jobs. The others have turned into live-streamed exercise classes. Keep that chest up. Drive through those heels. You guys are strong. You can do this. Just a few more seconds. Drive it. Yeah. And while it's nice, some of that income still trickling in. Doing hair and being her own boss was the biggest single chunk of Kate's income. And they shut down hair salons. And that put me into a um, uh, a panic is probably the gentlest word. It has meant tapping into a savings account Kate had only just managed to beef up. I was actually hoping to pay off some credit card debt that I had accumulated. And I wanted to buy a house. So that money is now being used to survive So why didn't she immediately apply for unemployment? Well, because of her complicated work picture. Should she apply through her employers as someone who gets a W-2 or wait until the gig benefits were available as a self-employed hairstylist? She just wasn't sure. The whole experience means she's questioning her choices. Um, It's making me reconsider what is the most important thing to me for years 
my autonomy and being able to make decisions on how and when I work were really important. Freedom, (laughs) not working for the man kind of thing. And now, especially as I get older, are there other things that may be more important now? Um, Security, (laughs) financial security, having a guaranteed income every single week and knowing where my money is coming from. A reminder that the economic hit from COVID-19 was swift and brutal and will reverberate for years. Again, we're answering your questions about making ends meet. Use the hashtag AskCM. A little later, the housing picture and the realities for business owners. Right now, though, joblessness with us from the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment is Phil Spessard. Hi, Phil. Hi, Ryan. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Glad you could join us. And CPR's own Andy Kenny, public affairs reporter who's covering unemployment, joins us as well. Hi, Andy. Hello. Phil, this new group of people who can collect benefits includes those who are self-employed as well as gig workers. And my understanding is this is the first time in the country's history they've ever been eligible for unemployment and they can start filing today. How soon can they expect to see money, though? True. Um, This is true. This is the first they should be able to file at some point today. Um, This will depend slightly because that program actually allows certain claims for people who lost work clear back to February 2nd to be able to backdate their claim that far. So if they're able to go in today and file a claim and they have a backdated claim, tomorrow they would be able to go in and certify for those prior weeks to receive payment. Somebody who would be filing a claim, say, just effective today or effective this week, the first time that they would uh, be filing a certification for payment on that new system, which will be weekly, would be uh, next Sunday. All right. And as soon as they file, then payment will go out. Sorry, I meant to be a little clearer there. That's okay. As soon as they file, payment will go out. So what is the lag time? Yeah. Yeah. So again, for somebody who would file a claim effective yesterday, so if they're filing during this week and they're not backdating it on Sunday, when they make a payment request, then those payments will uh, go out the following day. The following day. Much Much as we've been doing on our state side, correct? You said that at some point today, someone might be able to file. Is the system not up right now? As of the time I was coming on the phone with you, it is not yet up today. There are one or two little bugs to work out. The vendor's been working uh, furiously over the weekend with members of OIT and with some of our own staff. There's one little piece put in, but it will be up today. OIT is the Office of Information Technology, Information sort Technology. of the state's IT person. Uh, as we mentioned, the system has already been flooded with claims from people working traditional jobs. That includes 66-year-old Elliot Crooks of Denver. I was furloughed March 18th, was unable to get through to the website till 3 a.m. the 21st, and was only able to finish at 3 a.m. the 22nd. The rest of the time I got, we're unable to help you at this time. Please try again later responses. The system was Obviously overloaded. Elliot works for a wholesale company that provides what he calls shoe stuff. 
Um, Phil, what is being make, done to make sure that, the, you know, these new applicants aren't in for the same headaches? I mean, at this point, the system isn't even up. But once it is, uh, who's to say that folks won't face the same fate? Sure. I, I think when you look at the new system, one of the things learned through this current pandemic, and not just among Colorado, but among all states, was that when you had a system and you based on data, figuring what might be the highest number of con- concurrent users at the same time, that those numbers were, while may have been sufficient in prior recessions, were not necessarily sufficient for this round. So. Oh. The new system is built to carry far more concurrent users at at any single period of time um, on there. And it's believed to be able to process 100,000 claims a day on the new system. That's not to say, Ryan, that when people first go into this system, because you have an incredible backlog of people who've been waiting to file, they need to get payments, they need to pay rent, they need to keep the lights on, that it would be possible when individuals are first going in that there may be some delays in getting in, but it should not be anything like our other system had been in the early days of folks filing. We have learned from that. The vendors learned from that and increased capacity on the system. Okay, we'll get to Andy Kenny in just a moment, who I know has some perspective on this. But Phil, we have a question, an audience question. Avery Lill, what does this listener want to know? Yes, we do. Oliver Arnold of Denver asks, what are the best days or times of day to call the state labor department to actually talk to a person to get questions answered? Phil? That's a good question. Yeah, I would I'd tell you the phone queues usually turn on at eight. The problem is, is everybody's trying to call in at eight. And as we found at the, the current call center, it it's every day right now is pretty much the same. Uh, every hour is pretty much the same. With that said, with this um, new application up, we anticipate even greater loads. So a secondary call center or an outsourced call center has been hired to help alleviate part of that and answer those phone calls. Uh, the next two days, that call center itself is supposed to be open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And those hours will adjust based on need for folks calling in. And Phil is making reference there to this new group able to apply for benefits, gig workers and the self-employed. Andy Kenny, uh, our public affairs reporter who has very much been covering joblessness, I I even know that you sent out a sort of informal survey to some sources. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing about the process of applying for benefits? Well, in the first few days, Ryan, all the questions were about the website being totally broken or non-functional. Yeah. People could not get through. The uh, The state seems to have gotten the, the website a lot more stable. Now one of the biggest problems people have is, as we just mentioned, they can't get through to the hotline. And this is a pretty complicated system. Like Imagine trying to do your taxes if you'd never done taxes before and the rules for doing your taxes were changing. That's the situation a lot of people are in and trying to figure out, do I qualify? Uh People have really unique work circumstances. They want to talk to somebody on the phone. But again, those those phone lines are just so busy that folks are having a really hard time getting uh, a human to answer their, their questions to these complicated, answering their, uh, their questions about these complicated matters. And, you know, to answer the earlier question about when to get through, we've seen people sending screenshots from their phone of having called in 200, 300, even 400 times in a day. 
before they happen to get through by chance. Phil, Andy reflects there the fact that people's lives are complicated, their work lives are complicated, and that reflects very much, I think, what we heard from Kate Shapland, um, who falls into both camps. She's both an employee and she's her own employer. I'm just going to note here, Kate is actually my hairstylist. Um, uh, and she, she, <laughs> she does just, great work. She, oh, thank you, Andy. But that's a nice thing to say. Um, she wasn't sure how to proceed, Phil. And I imagine that there are any number of people who are both their own boss and draw a paycheck. So w- what avenue would she apply for benefits through now that gig workers can apply? Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly understand, you know, her, her confusion. Most people coming to us don't really want to have to come to us to begin with. And the largest number of our customers tend to be people who have never filed before. So all individuals tend to be very, very confused by the process. Mm. It's not something they do every day. So the way the CARES Act was written, in particular related to Kate here, if I understand correctly, is she has some employment that's W-2 work, yep. and the rest is her independent contractor 1099 work. Yeah, let me just say, my assumption would be that she could apply for benefits through both avenues, right? Because both avenues make up her income. Is that the case? Yeah, so so here's how the, uh, the CARES Act is actually written by uh, Congress, was it's the, the new program is only for individuals who have no eligibility to state unemployment benefits. So Kate would most likely be required to file a state unemployment claim only. The problem for her and what she would find frustrating and others in that same situation will find frustrating is that that unemployment claim, the value of it, the weekly value of that claim is going to be based only on what she was earning and what was reported she was earning on that W-2 employment, it would ex- it would exclude calculating in any of that hairstylist work for what her weekly benefit amount would be on the claim. Well, that's that's an important distinction to be making. In other words, people can't be drawing from the CARES Act and from state unemployment. Do I have that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Now, those individuals on whether they're on state unemployment at this time, or whether they end up under that additional program under the CARES Act available today online, at least through July, July twenty fifth, there's an additional six hundred dollars that is paid out each week on those claims as part of the CARE Act, whether it's a state claim or not. So, if I'm an individual who files a state claim and my state claim is only worth $100 per week, as long as I had earnings that were less than $100 for that week, I will receive that extra $600 payment for that time being. I know it's a a very little, you know, help to some of these individuals who may have, have had a fairly large income between their gig employment and between regular employment, um, because certainly their regular employment claim, that value is not going to be as high as high of a percentage of their income 
as somebody where all of their employment has been regular W-2 Indeed. The extra $600 you mentioned, that's part of the federal pandemic unemployment compensation. Andy, Kenny, at a, a very basic level, who qualifies for unemployment these days? Is it a broader pool than we might have expected in in normal times? Yeah, that's right. A lot of people are getting a really rapid education in, in how this works. In normal times, unemployment is actually reserved for a fairly small set of people or, or for people with regular traditional jobs where you get a W-2, you are an employee of an employer. That employer is paying certain kind of premiums toward the state program, and that makes you qualify. So in the past, if you didn't work for an employer directly, you know, if you were an independent contractor, you were a gig worker, you were an Uber driver, or you were self-employed, you would not have access to this program. And what we're, we're saying now is that, you know, starting today in Colorado, that's now been broadened to include potentially those gig workers, those self-employed, as long as they've been affected in a really material way by the COVID-19 outbreak. If you're an Uber driver who's lost all of her business, you might now qualify and you wouldn't have before. What if you have a job and the job continues, but you either have COVID-19 or someone in your home does, or someone in your home is really vulnerable and needs care. So that's a, that, that is now potentially included. In the past, if you were uh, voluntarily staying home due to an illness or someone else's, you, you probably would not have qualified. Uh-huh. But under this new law, there are certain provisions where if you can really legitimately prove that you were staying home because you had COVID-19 or because a doctor has said, that you should not be exposed to potentially COVID-19 or because you're caring for someone with COVID-19 or even because you're caring with a child who realistically isn't at school and needs care. Now, again, you might qualify for a limited time for unemployment. Phil, uh, before we wrap up, my understanding is sure. that it's several hundred thousand people who are considered uh, part of the gig economy in Colorado, 370,000 people uh, for whom benefits might open up today, huh? Correct, and that three hundred and seventy thousand is is an estimation because obviously, since they haven't previously qualified for a program, we we have no feel for what that exact number is. But that, based off of other other data, it's believed to be about ten percent of our entire workforce in the state of Colorado, which is around three point seven million individuals. Well, thanks. So that would be the three hundred and seventy thousand there potentially yeah. eligible. It remains to be seen what percentage of the 370,000 would file for this new program. So that's Phil Spesshart of the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, and you've been hearing as well from CPR Public Affairs reporter Andy Kenny. Here's the deal. They'll be available through the end of the hour to take your questions. So use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. Up next, making rent, affording food, and child care. This is a special Colorado Matters Making Ends Meet from CPR News. This is Mike Smith from Louisville, Colorado. Colorado Public Radio is an absolute treasure. I really appreciate the talented reporters and the journalists who keep us connected to news that matters most to us and to our communities which is especially important given everything that's going on. Colorado Public Radio needs our support like never before. Please join me in contributing to Colorado Public Radio so it can keep us connected to our community and the cutting edge of music. 
job loss has a cascading effect. Even with unemployment checks, people may still have trouble buying food or paying their utilities. Moreover, this is a health crisis. So what if you get sick and can't afford care? Michelle Barnes directs Colorado's Department of Human Services, and she's prepared to answer your questions. Again, use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. The state has a 211 hotline that Coloradans can call for help with a lot of these issues. I just wonder, with coronavirus, what are the greatest areas of need? What have you heard from 211? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 211 has been a service we've had as a state for a long time, but as the COVID-19 crisis uh, got more intense, we realized we needed a more robust referral service that could serve the whole state. So over the last weeks, we've really expanded 211. So it's now available to every single person in the state to match them to local resources. What we're finding that um, recently is that the main calls we have coming in are around rent, as you mentioned, Uh, people concerned about not being able to pay their rent and people looking for food. They're finding that with COVID-19 and maybe a job loss or other things going on in their lives, they're just not able to stretch their budget enough to cover food. Okay. Let's those are the two we're hearing the most. Yeah. Let's unpack those. So rent. remind us where Colorado stands with people who may have trouble paying. I know that there's something of a hold on evictions, but there's also a concern that there could be a wave of those once this passes. Where do we stand? Well, where we stand is that uh, last month, Governor Polis asked property owners to be more lenient towards their tenants as thousands of people in the state deal with unemployment. He specifically requested that landlords refrain from imposing late fees on tenants until at least April 30th. And that's what they absolutely hold off in evicting people who don't or can't pay rent. Um, He went on to ask local governments to avoid using law enforcement resources for evictions that don't really impact public safety. The governor's executive order was really a moral ask. He's Mm. appealing to our better angels and asking us to have grace and work together to make sure people aren't unhoused during this time. The state did get about $3 million of emergency funding to offset some rental costs, and the Colorado Department of Housing has contracted with nonprofits to get the money out to help low-income families, and about 3500 have been served so far through this, but there's obviously more assistance needed. So if I called 211 and I was really in a pinch on rent, is it even a vague chance that I might be able to get some financial assistance? It is. It, there is a chance they are connected with not just federal and state resources, but also community resources, local nonprofits. Everybody who's there to help you in your community, stay in your house, can be research, can be accessed through calling two one one. Okay. When people ask for food help, what is two one one telling them? They're connecting them to a couple resources. One is local food pantries where they can go get food immediately. If the family has a longer-term need for food assistance, they're connecting them and setting them up on SNAP benefits, which basically gives you a debit card with money on it every month that you can use to supplement your monthly shopping. So they're connecting them depending on the situation to one or both. Are you seeing a lot of people applying for SNAP benefits who might not have before? We are seeing an increase in people applying for SNAP benefits. It's gone up about 10% since 
um, over the last month. And it's interesting, traditionally, Colorado's been a state that hasn't taken advantage of this federal um, food program. Um, we've been one of the lowest states in terms of people signing up for SNAP benefits, even though we know people do need it. So we're seeing an uptick, and we're really glad about that to see that more and more people have ongoing food assistance support. All right. Avery Lill is going to bring us a question from our audience. Go ahead, Avery. Yes. So we got a question from um, one of our audience members, and Danny Katz is from Boulder. He asked whether there are groups of people that can contribute their stimulus checks to if they want to help people in a crisis. Specifically, he's looking for groups that will offer low-cost loans to keep people from getting entangled with predatory lenders. Michelle? Thanks, Avery. That's that's a very generous uh, question from your listener in Boulder. Yes, there are a lot of places where you can donate your stimulus check. One that the state has set up is called um, HelpColoradoNow.org, and people are donating money and organizations, and that money is being turned around really quickly to get resources in the hands of local community partners helping people through this crisis. You can also go to your favorite nonprofit who may be struggling right now with um, with fundraising, given that a lot of them have um, had to cancel galas and events. Um, or you can also go to United Way, and they have a COVID fund to help support people in recovery. Ah, it's a fascinating question. If someone wants to give away some or all of their stimulus. Uh, Avery, another question? Yes. So we had another question on Twitter from Fritz Mackey. He asked, has Colorado or Denver announced a rent moratorium? I've not been able to find anything other than the one related to evictions. So Michelle, an outright moratorium on rent, which I guess would be saying you you don't have to pay at this moment. Uh, nothing from the right. governor to, to quite that extent. Do I have that right? No, nothing from the um, from the governor that would impact the entire state. But different cities and municipalities are looking at different options. I'm not aware that there's a rent moratorium in Denver, um, but that would be a decision by the mayor of Denver and any um, local municipality may choose to thread that needle in a different way. Okay, so we are speaking with Michelle Barnes, she's the head of Colorado's Department of Human Services, about the many realities, economic realities, that people face in the face of COVID-19. And, um, you know, the, the stress of this moment shows up in many, many ways. We heard from Melissa Bosworth of Aurora through Colorado Wonders. She works full-time teaching health administration at Regis University and consulting with hospitals. And she's got a lot on her plate right now. I'd like to know how caregivers of older family members are holding up. I'm currently taking care of my 75-year-old mother recovering from lung cancer surgery. No COVID, but she's had multiple complications that have brought paramedics to our home with a resistance to take her back to the hospital. She was also released early from the hospital for fear that it was safer at home. As a working mother with a child at home and a full-time additional care job with my mother, I'd like to know how others in my position are faring. Are you aware if there is any chance for respite care for caregivers right now, any kind of social support for them, Michelle? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question. I can actually empathize with Melissa. As a, a daughter, I can relate. And not a moment goes by where a lot of us aren't thinking about our own parents and their safety. 
right now we're finding a lot of people are feeling isolated or stressed or anxious or even depressed due to the stay-at-home order and the extra trauma of trying to support someone you love. And the pandemic's really hard on everybody. The state has a uh, talk line, a hotline where you can call to connect to someone right away who can just listen or empathize or connect you to resources like respite care in your community. It's 1-844-493-8255. And we've noticed that the number of calls per day has skyrocketed. We get almost 800 people a call, people calling every day to look for help. And that's significantly up from prior to COVID. So other people are feeling that way. And we want you to feel comfortable reaching out and asking for support. Another resource on the Let me just stop you there AR. because that, that number flew yeah, by. I think I got it down as one eight four 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 nine three eight two five five. Do I have that right? That's correct. Okay. Maybe we can tweet that out, our social media folks. One eight four 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 nine three eight two five five. Uh is that like a mental health line? Are those counselors? It's a mental health line, and, so, and depending on what kind of what you want to talk about, it might be you might be connected to a peer specialist, somebody who's going through what you're going through, or you may be referred to a, an expert who can help you with um, a more serious situation. Okay, and then you were going to say that there was another option. I'll give you another option. Um, the AARP has a really amazing website right now with about community resources for seniors. And that's a great um, resource to go to. So AARP. ARP. Okay. What we used to know is the American Association of Retired Persons. I think they dropped that moniker. Uh, we have a question from someone who is looking ahead and concerned about what she sees. Jackie Vaughn lives in Aurora with her eight-year-old twins, and she reached out through Colorado Wonders. With the possibility of returning to work in May, and I certainly hope so because I need to earn money again to pay for rent and food for my children. Who will teach my children at home? Single parents are at risk of having to go back to work with children out of school. If I drop them off to a childcare center, can I afford it? And how do my children complete their schooling? It makes more sense to open schools if work opens up. As a double whammy, with summer holidays just around the corner, I had my savings calculated to cover June and July childcare while I worked, but these two extra months without earning and then summer break where I have to return to work and get childcare is crippling my budget. Is there a solution for single parents who will need to go back to work? Michelle? That's a great question, and I'm happy to say I have a very uh, positive answer for your uh, caller. Oh, good. Um, as part of the COVID-19, Colorado stood up a Colorado Emergency Child Care Collaborative. It's a public-private partnership. And through that collaborative, we're able to subsidize child care for essential workers um, through May 17th. Now, we're looking at if we can extend that date um, to be able to offer it much longer, and we're working on plans for what's going to happen this summer when kids' summer camps are closed and other things. But your child up to age 14 is eligible to get child care at no cost to the family. But you'd have to fall into an essential camp, right? Is that a pretty specific and narrow definition? It's it's considered an essential worker, and Governor Polis put out criteria for that on what an essential worker is. It could be anyone from a doctor, a nurse, a CNA, to a grocery store worker, 
to a um, journalist. Um, so essential workers are a pretty broad category, includes construction and education. And people that are considered essential workers by the state are eligible for free child care. All right. And, and in your... this case, two eight-year-old twins would definitely qualify. Eight-year-old twins would qualify. They're younger than 14. And what you've hear, heard here is that uh, there is discussion about extending this beyond May 17th, correct? There is. Okay. Yeah. We're working on that as we speak. That's Michelle Barnes, director of Colorado's Department of Human Services, and she too has generously made herself available through the end of the show. We're taking your questions. Use the hashtag AskCM on Twitter. This is a Colorado Matters special, Making Ends Meet. Coming up, help for small businesses struggling to stay afloat. I'm Ryan Warner. It's CPR News. I'm Anne-Marie Awad. I'm a reporter here for CPR. And I've got anxiety. 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 So the On Something podcast, which I host, has come out of hibernation to talk about self-medicating. During this pandemic, it's okay to feel like your mental state is a bit more fragile than usual. I'm trying to avoid the word hysterics. Good choice, good choice. Join me as I delve into the complicated feelings and the science of using weed to cope. Find On Something wherever you get your podcasts. It boggles the mind when you think about all the small businesses affected by coronavirus. Walk down any main street in the state, you can see them, the cafe, the law office, the clothing store. There are more than 600,000 small businesses in Colorado, and they're trying to figure out how to survive. What help is available? Well, Glenn Plagans joins us, the state's director of business support and rural prosperity. Hi, Glenn. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad you could join us. We are also joined by small business owner Robin Laurie. Hi, Robin. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Robin, you own a brick-and-mortar store, the Denver boutique Tallulah Jones. And over the course of 19 years, you've weathered some pretty bad times, including the Great Recession. But how does this moment compare? Uh, This is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, Even during the Great Recession... The doors were open, you know, babies are still born, children still have birthdays. Um, It definitely affects business, but business still is happening. And in this case, we're closed. It's it's a whole other story. So this is, yeah, this is devastating. Devastating. Say more about why it is devastating perhaps to you and your employees. What has been the effect? Um, You know, you go from sales every day and traffic and business and community um, to to nothing. And we have a great staff. We have um, people that have been with me for years and, uh, you know, screeching halt to nothing. Uh, we've, we've tried to get creative, and that's been a huge blessing. Um, yeah, give me an example. Well, you know, thinking outside the box, or in our case, our four walls, we are definitely, our strength has been our presence of the brick-and-mortar location. I personally am technologically challenged. Um, So, you know, my strength has always been redoing displays and and bringing in new merchandise. And now it's it's reaching out in different directions. Um, We're doing newsletters at least five days a week, reaching out to our community um, that we have through email and trying to give them opportunities to shop 
um, kind of digitally. We don't um, have a way to ship things, but people are coming to the store and, you know, we set the package out on the sidewalk, walk yeah. away, they approach, and they get the package, you know, and we're just, we're doing different ideas. Like we, um, we are a general store of sorts. We have an adult side, we have a kid side. Um, you know, when this first started, we did a lot of games and puzzles and um, art supplies that will keep kids entertained at home. Um, you know, this week, one of our newsletters um, that went out today is on the art of old-fashioned letter writing, um, reaching out, using stationery, sending something by snail mail, and keeping uh, connected with somebody in kind of an old-fashioned way. This is fascinating. You're reading the market in a way in real time and having to adapt to it. Have you had to lay anyone off at this point? Well, we... We jumped on the um, PPP program, the Payment Protection Program, right away. Um, it was a process, a multi-step process, um, which was, uh, you know, challenging. But we were able to get the loan. It actually deposited on Friday afternoon. So we are figuring out right now on how to go about paying people now. So we're in contact with our wonderful accountant. And hopefully we will come out of this with the same staff and the same friendly faces that we had before. Okay, the PPP Paycheck Protection Program. This is a loan program under the Small Business Administration, Glenn. And just like briefly describe how this works. So the Paycheck Protection Program is actually designed, just as Robin said, to keep your employees in place for when businesses reopen. And basically, it's um, calculated by using two and a half times your normal monthly payroll. And that is given to the business in advance, like Robin got her check on Friday. And then there will be a reconciliation process after June 30th where that loan will actually be forgiven. So it acts as a grant as long as all the uh, all the markers are met along the, along the way. Ah, I do want to say that the original funding for PPP was $349 billion, and it's basically gone. Congress is reportedly this morning very close to a deal for an additional $370 billion. That is something we will obviously watch. Glenn, let's talk about other options. Denver has small business grants available. Arvada for example, has some loans. Just tell us about the kind of local patchwork here. Yeah, so there's a few things, and I'm going to share a few websites, if you don't mind as well, where you can find um, information that's being updated continuously. But yeah, there's there's some restrictions. There's the Small Business Administration actually has the Economic Injury Disaster Loans, the Payroll Protection Loan. They have a $25,000 cash advance loan. Um, there's different companies that can get different things. To get more information about those, there's two really important websites. One is choosecolorado.com. And at choosecolorado.com, you can find in it, um, different details about the different Small Business Administration webs or programs, as well as there's a tab there for alternative sources of funding. And those alternative sources of funding are grants some are loans, but a lot of grants that are being stood up by local communities and different foundations. And right now we have a list of 165 different grants and loan funds on that website. Um, the other website that's really important is 
Robin mentioned that she's working very closely with her accountant. We run out of our Office of Economic Development. We oversee the Colorado Small Business Development Center Network. And to find out what they do, you can go to Colorado SBDC. That's coloradosbdc.org. And our COVID site, basically, we have all the information. We do a really, really deep dive on the different SBA programs, the different sources of funding. We also have over 200 consultants working throughout the state that a business owner can reach out to and talk to them. If they're struggling with their cash flow, we can help them with that. Is that a free service to be able to talk to them? The consultants are free, and a week after this crisis started, they are all virtual statewide right now. And we are actually adding consultants on, but they are free consultants. And I urge people to take advantage of this because this is really about extending cash flow. And Robin's doing the, the, you know, just the the perfect thing is thinking differently. You know, we call it pivoting. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of businesses. About 60% of Main Street right now is closed down. And we just have to look at different ways to pivot and look at resources um, as we go along. The other thing that um, worth noting is that alternative sources of funding has a team of seven people working on it right now. Last Friday, it was at 100 alternative sources. Now it's at 165. So that team is unpacking those resources and providing them to the small business owners of the state of Colorado on that website. And you should absolutely look at what is available in your specific area within Colorado. Okay, so for that counseling, I'll just say again, coloradosbdc.org. I'm on that site now. That's the Small Business Development Center Network and choosecolorado.com as well. Okay, on Sunday... Hundreds of demonstrators protested Colorado's stay-at-home order, honking their horns. Um, In an exchange that's gone viral, one woman shouted at a counter-protester who was dressed in scrubs, You go to work? Why can't I go to work? Here's some of that exchange. Glenn, how do you respond to someone who says the best way to address the economic pain we focused on this hour is to reopen the economy fast? You know, we look for guidance in in our office as as part of the Office of Economic Development. We we deal with the realities of what it looks like to open an economy, put an economy back together, standing up resources and things like that. But we also look at the Colorado Department of Health and Environment. They're the ones that are going to put the major guardrails in in place for the business owners and for the state going forward. And, you know, we work with them, you know, directly. And at this particular point, I mean, I think the health and safety issue of this um, entire thing is, is, you know, front and center. Um, Looking at the businesses and what they can do right now, the biggest thing is just like what Robin said Um, I went through a similar situation after 2008 when I lost 50% of the sales in the business I was running at that point. And what I really urge business owners to do at this time is to really look at those alternative sources of funding, look at how they're going to stretch cash flow, look at the tax deferments, look at suppliers, look at rent abatements, you know, work with your landlord. Anything you can do to get to the other side of this is the economy, you know, eventually opens back up. Look at, you know, what the new paradigm for your business is going to be and how you have to pivot that business model going forward. And that's the thing I really recommend business owners do right now 
is focus on their business model and then focus on the free resources and focus on the help that you can get. Um, at our coloradosbdc.org website, we have probably a dozen webinars by now posted um, talking about the different loan programs and pivoting. Um, we work with partners. Well, like let me stop Colorado. you there. I really I really want to hear from Robin at this point, because Robin, do you share that kind of antsiness to get your business open faster, perhaps, than what the stay in place order um I, I'm going to surprise you, and I'm going to say no, um, absolutely not. I can survive um, having a soft uh, May, you know, a very reduced income um, in May. I cannot survive a, a reduced December. If we don't get around this thing right now, and this is lingering into the fall and devastates December sales, that's something I don't feel I could survive. So I... I would prefer to nip this in the bud a little bit, you know, in a stronger fashion and and move forward and, you know. Well, that's interesting. What you're saying is that you're afraid a second wave yeah. would wreak an economic havoc that mm-hmm. you, you just couldn't bear, especially as we head towards gift season. Again, yeah. we are taking your questions through Ask CM on Twitter. And I understand that some more of those are coming through. So let's go to Avery Lill and see if we might do some mopping up from the last hour, perhaps break some new ground with some questions. Go ahead, Avery. Yeah, let's go back to unemployment for a couple of questions. Andy, this reinforces something that came up earlier, but always good to clarify. There's a new $600 per week benefit that will go to all unemployed workers. When does that benefit start getting paid? That should kick in on people's next payment date starting today, and it should happen automatically for everyone receiving unemployment. And bringing back Phil Bessard of the Department of Labor, Rochelle Asmussen asks, do real estate agents now qualify for unemployment? Phil? So in general, the real estate agent would be someone who would be filing on that brand new program under the CARES Act. And yeah, as long as they are meeting one of the nine subsections and one of those subsections on there is that the business closure um, as we've had due to order, then they would be qualifying or filing under the uh, PUA program. I wanted to follow up just really quick on an answer that Andy just gave to you too, because I have good news about the extra $600 on our state unemployment claims. That programming was finished. And so today, alone, almost $71 million being shipped out to banks to pay the first week on that uh, $600. There will be another transaction tonight. So the first week was for the week ending April 4th. There'll be another transaction tonight for people who've already filed for the week ending April 11th. And then one Wednesday for the week ending April 18th, catching everyone up on their regular uh, state benefits for that $600. And then um, from that point forward, every time that they file a payment for request, it will be added on. Avery, go ahead with a a follow-up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I do have a follow-up question from Jackie Vaughn about child care. So workers whose employment the state hasn't designated essential may find themselves needing to go back to work when businesses begin reopening, even though schools will still be closed. Is there assistance available to those workers to pay for child care, Andy? There is some provision in the new unemployment law for that situation. Uh, I believe the exact phrasing is that you are, if you are unable to work 
due to needing to care for a kid who is at home because of a closed childcare or a closed school, you may qualify for unemployment. That's also going to depend on uh, your situation as your, I'm not quite sure how that works with your employer allowing you to be out for that time, but you may well qualify if you realistically need to be caring for your child at home. Yeah, that question of essential versus non-essential is an essential question, isn't it, Michelle? It is. And what we're finding is a lot of parents who traditionally have taken advantage of child care aren't using it now. Their fears about putting their kids in a center, their neighbors unemployed, so they're watching them. So what we're finding is child care centers are really empty these days. Oh. And there's a lot of room to take on more, more children and young people. But I think but right that, now we're able to subsidize it for people who are essential workers. Yeah. I think uh, what I hear in so many of your answers is uh, there are the questions immediately about financial help. And going forward, there will be many questions about how exactly the economy reopens, what people's uh, hesitation will be to rejoin that economy, considering their own health and what the economic realities of the, all of that are. Sorry that obviously we'll continue to follow. I want to thank all of our guests answering your questions for this Colorado Matters special, Making Ends Meet. I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News. Thank you.